everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello. Happy College Football Week. Happy Week Zero. Happy Week Zero. Happy Season Preview Week. We are officially in, I think, the, the favorite episode of, of the podcast hosts and most of the listeners, at least, where we, uh, we wall-to-wall talk just Syracuse football um, for the most part. I'm sure something off-topic will come up. And we'll run down every single game. We'll run down every position group. Some of the biggest questions uh, facing us this season uh, definitely should be an entertaining episode. Um, Dan, before we jump into the depth chart, um, anything you wanted to get off your chest at the top? No, just uh, I think we we touched on it last week. It's it's going to be it's it's interesting to finally do one of these where there are really like cemented high expectations coming off of like bid time success and not just like what might be a fleeting bowl, bowl season. So um, obviously that comes with uh, I think a little bit of a, an interesting viewpoint from the fan base entering the season. I think uh, expectations have been raised significantly there and hopefully uh, we all kind of settle in on a, a reasonable spot here, but uh, it's definitely better than the alternative of like, Oh, can we scrape to, to six wins? Finally. Um, I'm, I'm very happy. Hopefully having put that part of our, our, you know, football uh, tenure in the past for at least uh, a good while here. Yeah, I mean, I- I'm writing a uh, just teaser. I'm writing an article for next week, just kind of working title. Like, you know, there there is no script for this, or there is no rule book for this. Um, if only because you know the the, the fandom that we inherited um, coming in, you know, at the back end of the Greg Robinson era, um, and obviously most of the years since. Uh, obviously, the site that Sean ran for so long, like. There was no script for what happens when football's really good. Uh, so so this is kind of uncharted territory for the blog and for us um, and for a lot of fans out there. You know, anyone who, I mean, I was around to some extent, you know, when we were good, but not to the, not to the level I am now, obviously. And I know that there's plenty of other people who probably feel the same way. Plenty of people who were definitely around uh, back when we were really good and, and only have fleeting recollections of it at this point. So definitely no rule book for this. Uh, definitely no script for this in terms of, you know, what, what we're doing as a podcast or as a blog uh, to kind of cover a top 25 uh, contending team. But we're doing our best and we're, we're kind of rolling with the punches. So uh, why don't we just kind of dive in at uh, the most important position on the team, uh, arguably, quarterback, where Tommy DeVito takes the reins. I think you and I have kind of talked about Tommy on an awful offseason. Uh Dan, what are your modest expectations for him from a statistical perspective? And where do you think he might um, excel right away? And where might he struggle right away? Um, I, when you said most important position, I was I had pulled up the punter page. So I'll have to, to shift that real quick. Um, <laughs> so on brand. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very excited for DeVito. I think uh, obviously it's going to be a very different look from what we're used to with Eric Dungy. And uh, in previous years, like the Zach Mahoney's of the world who... Uh, got a lot more done with their their legs. Obviously, we know that that Devito is pretty mobile, and I think he will run to an extent. But it's not going to be part of like part of the thing with him. Like I think if he runs, it's going to be because someone gave him some space and he picked up eight yards. It's not going to be like part of his whole game. Um, statistically, it's hard to really say, just because I think he's the first like true drop back pass that we've had in the Babers' offense. We've seen some really prolific stat lines from his quarterbacks before he got to Syracuse. Um, I'm going to say, I'm not going to, you know, I don't know if we're going to get like a Matt Johnson, you know, explosion in year one under DeVito. Um, I will say, I'll do like uh, probably 
let's say 3,500 yards, um, which is a pretty you know decent increase from Dungey. That's about what we got from our quarterbacks last year in total. Um, I will go with let's say 28 touchdowns, uh, nine interceptions, and then I think he'll run for about uh, 300 yards and a couple touchdowns. 300. That's a. I mean, I I think Devito can run, and we saw him run for touchdown last year. We saw him run for a couple bigger gains last year. I know I forgot which athletic piece it was, but I know they mentioned that uh, Devito's actually faster than Dungey, which was I felt like a really interesting uh, point that like we didn't really discuss all that much since um, since Dungey Dungey had some speed and he had like the ability to like turn on the Jets um, and and break away, but I don't necessarily think he had like that like real just like top level speed at all. T- like that was the like, consistent. Um, if DeVito is faster than him, I still don't think we're going to see him take off that much. I, if I'm going to put a stat line on it, I think, I think he probably completes about 58% of his passes, which is a slight dip from last year's, uh, numbers from Dungey. Uh, I'm going to give him 3,300 yards. I'll say 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Um, I think that this team ends up being a little bit more uh leans a little bit more on the run uh just you know especially early as as DeVito kind of gets more comfortable I think at the same time like we could see a lot more big plays in the passing game that that maybe balance that out so yeah I I don't think you and I are all that far apart in terms of statistics uh in any case I think we're going to see probably bigger passing numbers uh from from DeVito over Dungey but maybe maybe slightly lower, um, you know, total yardage uh, when compared to Dungy, considering like how, you know, he was almost our leading rusher every year he was on campus. Yeah, I can probably bump a couple more interceptions on there. I think with DeVito, what we saw last year, which was, you know, kind of impressive to, to see from your backup um, and showed what confidence Babers already had in him as a redshirt freshman. Um, he went deep a lot and he went deep early, even when he came into deems like cold. Uh, usually they gave DeVito a shot uh, to take early on in his, uh, in his, you know, stint. So um, I think obviously we don't have uh, the Jamal Custis. We don't have like the super proven deep threat. We have a, a really nice complement of receivers, but we don't have like that big guy who's uh, who we know is going to be out there. Um, although I'm, I'm pretty bullish on the receiving core and we'll get to that in a bit. Um, but I, I think we'll see a lot more like big strikes down the field and that will probably, I, I think I'll probably bump the interceptions up to like 10 or 11. Um, but we'll see more of those big plays than we've seen since Babers out on campus because uh, I think Dungey had like decent touchdown the field, but I think DeVito, that's going to be a major strength for him. Yeah, I mean, you've even seen it already with DeVito where like, again, no knock on Dungey necessarily, but you saw even if he was slightly off, you, you it was fairly accurate uh, and, and you didn't see like that kind of, again, not to knock Dungey, but you didn't see that kind of lame duck uh, bit from the football at the end I think he was pretty much on target he might have overthrown by a bit but he he knew how to get the ball downfield through the air very quickly um, I know in the Notre Dame game he almost connected on early touchdown to Taj Harris um, obviously he he connected on a couple of real nice deep balls um, in the you know Florida State game the North Carolina game so yeah I, I'm not at all worried about the deep ball I think what's going to be more interesting for me is just kind of the quick decision making how the offensive line and we'll get there how the offensive line holds up for him and, and, you know, Dungy never necessarily made quick decisions or at least quick passing decisions. Um, his progressions were kind of, you know, if, if the first pass isn't there run, 
Um, you saw some improvements here and there. I think Dun- I think DeVito is going to be in the same sort of boat, um, although he might take he's, he's going to take more sacks. Um, you just hope that he doesn't get the the hard hits maybe that, that Dungy took um, w- when he's going through his progressions and, and, and letting plays develop a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we'll see as much DeVito in the open field, so he won't get those big shots. And that's where a lot of Dungy's, uh, the like really like problematic hits he took were. Um, so, you know, hopefully uh, the offensive line is one of the, the more concerning parts of this team, even though we are, I think, you know, probably better off the offensive line than we are most years, uh, at least since we've been doing this podcast. But we do lose a bit from last year's pretty good unit, and we don't have Dungy's escapability and his ability to kind of ad-lib um, assuming DeVito doesn't have that same thing. Uh, so yeah, he'll probably take more sacks. Hopefully if they're in the pocket, they're like not super impactful and he can step up and mitigate like the losses. Um, that was like one thing we saw from Dungey and some of our older quarterbacks, like tendency to take really bad, uh, really bad sacks where you're like really deep in the pocket rather than stepping up and trying to mitigate the damage. And that um, typical Madden kind of like switching direction yeah. over and over Instead again. Of stepping <laughs> in the pocket, you step all the way back. It's yeah. like, Oh, it's third and 27. Great um so hopefully less of that um but yeah it's just gonna be it's gonna be a different experience but i think it's gonna be uh one and we've been saying this since devito got to campus um more in line with what baber's like ideal uh quarterback looks like because you know devito is probably still the biggest recruit he's brought in um you know four-star kid elite 11 like top finisher behind two attack of uh Tandavaloa. um you know there's reasons why the hype is there and we got some pretty good looks at it last season um, while also getting like a full season from Dungy, which was which was wonderful um, and a great bowl win, so um, it's going to be exciting to see what it looks like in its Liberty. I, I um, I'm interested. I think uh, the offense will probably look like. I think people will be surprised uh, how much different it looks with uh, such a different quarterback in there. Yeah, I mean that's a big thing. Like I feel like Syracuse fans, for the most part, understand that. Um, at least they understand it's going to be a good offense. I don't think they understand how different it's going to be. I feel like outsiders and, and rightfully so um, are a bit like more bearish on the offense because of, of what Dungy brought to the table. I think, you know, it's being underestimated just how much, you know, Babers was fitting kind of a square peg into a round hole when it comes to Dungy and his offense and, and how it was run. I think, yeah, like you said, we're going to see a very, very different um, scheme this year. And I, I think it's going to be for the better. And I know I mentioned this to Brent Axon. I was talking to him um, on ESPN Syracuse earlier today. Like it's just, it, even if the numbers, even if the numbers take a little dip, it's still going to be a more efficient group. And that's only going to benefit Syracuse in the long run. Yeah. I, I, I totally get why people outside of the Syracuse fan base are pretty, are, are more bearish. Like you said, on the offense, um, when you lose it, I like Dungy who I think really broke through and was one of like, I think in, in eight years when people are bringing up like, random college football players that were really good but weren't ever like superstars or really different like you know they weren't all americans they weren't top draft picks when people think of syracuse from this time period i think Aaron dungy's gonna be the guy that jumps off the page because he was um just such a unique uh talent such a, a unique player uh, played with such passion beat clemson the one time um i, I like uh, i've been like binging through a bunch of the podcast the college football pods from like the summer that i didn't get to and like the solid verbal guys were doing like their they're like solid verbal All-Americans, which were like not the best players, but just like the guys who uh, you just remember because they're very unique college football players and like they they kind of define the sport. And that's like what Dungy's going to go down as. Um, so when you lose a guy like that, where that's like the guy that people knew Syracuse for for a couple of years, uh, I totally get why why people are like, oh, they, they don't have Dungy. We don't know anything about this DeVito guy except he you know, played a little bit last year. 
um, you know, maybe they take a bit slide, and you know, maybe we do because it, you still have to go out there and prove it if you're Devito. But um, I think all the early signs are pretty pretty positive coming out of camp. So uh, yeah, I think Tom will do, do a really nice job, and uh, behind him is kind of an adventure. So hopefully, we don't need to delve too far into the depth chart this year. Yeah, I think we can pass on like going too far into uh, that conversation. Uh, Clayton Welsh being your uh, likely number two there. And after that, uh, <laughs> well, that's I quarterbacks and he, he, you know, has had uh, some nice moments. He's had, he's had some nice moments. And then David Summers is at least a year away from like really being able to kind of take on that college uh, starting job, I think. So it's definitely a bit of a dice roll. And based on how the 2020 class is looking, uh, looks like get another dice roll after that. But, you yeah, know, this is kind of how college football works today. Yeah, we, we're going to be in a very interesting situation if DeVito really blows up. And, like, he could go to the NFL this year. I'm not predicting it, but he, he this will be his third year out of high school. So it could happen. Um, we'd probably be looking at a grad transfer if that was to take place. Luckily, that's, you know, very common now. And as long as they don't change the rule on us, like, that's a, a way to, to plug in a, and fill a quarterback hole in one year. But uh, it's, not the, it's still not the ideal, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, definitely not ideal. And at the same time, though, so many guys are playing with kind of spread um, sensibilities, either coming out of high school or, or early of their stops in college, that it's probably much easier at this point to plug in a guy into a, a system like Babers than it would be um, in, you know, some of the more, like, again, like, I, I just think the spreads become so prevalent that it's not going to be like this foreign concept to to guys um, across the country the way it might have been even five, seven years ago. No, that's a good point. But we'll see. Hopefully we don't end up in that in that general uh, situation, but you never know. And again, I, I think... If we SC, do, it's probably because we had a really, really good year. So, yeah. so, so we'll take that problem going away, and hopefully um, the numbers that DeVito would be able to put up in said situation means that a really good grad transfer walks in that door. Yeah. This is all very hypothetical, so we have to we have Tommy has to do like earn that first, and and obviously it's not every day that even even with the increased like early departures, not every day that a redshirt sophomore leaves. So um, we'll see what happens. But uh, either way, I think we're all excited to see what he can do in a full season, and and hopefully we don't have to worry about uh, backups or uh, replacements or anything for for twelve or thirteen games here. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. Um, and one of the reasons we might not is because of the running game, uh, as we kind of alluded to a little bit earlier. Uh, this is probably the best group of running backs. No offense to Dante Strickland. Uh, the best group of running backs we've had at SU in at probably our entire time in the ACC. Yeah, conservatively, I think you can go back to like Jerome Smith and Prince Tyson Dully, but they might even be better than that. It's, you know, I think on paper they could be. That was a really good yeah. combination. Though. That was the last like really like impressive group, I think. Well, and they use them well too, and I think now, like this, this group's going to be interesting because I feel like a lot of them have overlapping skill sets. Um, I don't think that there's like a definitive power back necessarily. Maybe that guy's Jarvin Howard. Um, I know he displayed some of that ability last year when he was. I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me. I knew he had at least six touchdowns. It might have been eight. Um, uh, Jarvin had seven touchdowns. Uh, I was so close. Three hundred fifteen yards on sixty-eight carries, seven touchdowns, one to fifty-three. I always read Dungey had 15 rushing touchdowns last year. Yeah, it's just I, like I, I bonkers really nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, like, you had your heart in your chest for at least, like, 10 of them. Oh, yeah. 
like at, at minimum. And and I, I am very curious to see what happens this year with SU because and I, I talked about this last season. Like Eric Dungy was our short yardage option. Oh, he was. He was. You know what he was? He was. Uh, if you guys remember back to like 2013 or 14 Oklahoma, he was Blake Bell. If Blake Bell could actually throw, he was the bell dozer. Fair. Except he actually had a good arm. Yeah, and and that's kind of like what what the issue is going to be now for for this run game that a lot of people have been alluding to. Um, yeah, you look at like the the top three rushers on, on this list, like Mo Neal, Abdul Adams, Jarvie, and Howard. They're all going to get plenty of carries, but all of them are around the same size. Um, they're all in like that. I mean, Neal's a little bit smaller, but Adams and Howard are about in that two ten, two fifteen range. So nobody's like really, really big necessarily. Um, I think those three are going to be the ones that get the most carries. Um, at the same time, it feels like it feels like people have been talking about the other running backs too, even more so. A lot of that's because Abdul Adams hurt um, for a bunch of the spring, but and into the summer. But it feels like he's back now. But yeah, like somebody like Garrison Johnson, who is like two thirty seven and would potentially like fill that role. Um, as like a really big power back. Uh, Jawar Jordan's more of a scat back type who, while he's done some good things in spring and summer, I feel like it'd be great to be able to redshirt him um, because he can just slot kind of right into where Moniel um, is now. But yeah, a lot of these guys are kind of in the same, uh, you know, general weight range. So I'm, I don't know, I don't know who's going to do what, um, but I will say that Moniel is, is a real candidate for, is something close to a thousand yards, especially if I think if the running game ends up being, you know, an even bigger part of the offense this year. And I think it would be if only because you're not going to have those carries from Dungy. So they're going to have to go somewhere. Yeah. I almost think Moniel will fall short again. I think he'll actually, I mean, and he had an impressive 5.6 yards to carry last year. Um, I could see him falling with a 900 range only because I think it's going to be hard to keep uh, Jarvie and, and Abdul Adams from getting like, you know, in the mid you know, four or 500 range each as well. Um, I think we'll probably run a lot better as a team. Um, I think we should be over that 4.3 number we had last year um, as a group. Uh, it's just, I, 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 like you said, these aren't like very disparate um, talents in terms of like, they, they don't bring a lot of different things to the table. They're kind of similar, but I do think we could see a, like kind of a hot hand situation or just like, we're going to make sure our running back is fresh on every down because we have three guys who could really, uh, do damage back there, which is a nice, you know, I think I always like having the like power back stat back combo. Like we've had with like Delon Howard and, and uh, uh, where were we? Uh, Bailey. And uh, we said Jerome Smith and PTG, but um, you know, it's a little bit different this year, but I think, you know, if you, if you can guarantee that you're going to have a fresh back every time someone touches the ball or for the most part, or you have a hot hand running, um, that's not a bad problem to have either. Um I do think at least one of these guys will fit with a thousand. Whoever kind of breaks out, Neil's the obvious candidate. But um, it is weird, like that Adams uh, hasn't gotten quite as much uh, hype. Just I think because you know Neil's been so good. Neil's been kind of one of the faces of the program this off season. Um, and you know, while we saw Adams in the bowl game, we still don't know a ton about him. And he had the two touchdowns, but there wasn't a ton else to show in that bowl game. Not that we really needed him to. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if any of these guys really had a star turn. I think it's a really, really talented group. Yeah, I mean, in general, like, I, I think that because there's so much returning talent that we saw a ton of, it's easy to forget Adams in some ways. And again, I think because of the spring injury, um, I, I think, you know, people didn't see as much of him in the spring as some of the other guys. But like, 
this is a guy who is a former four-star talent. Uh, he's somebody who averaged 9.2 yards per carry um, as a sophomore at Oklahoma in 2017. That's 542 yards. Like, that's impressive. Um, and it's like almost any, weird that he left Oklahoma because, like, he was putting up numbers there in that offense. Like, his he, he fumbled a couple times and then got put in the doghouse, and that was kind of it. Yeah, and they like that, and that's the in that a program like that they have so they've had so many good running backs they can't afford to do that. Um, but like, just go watch that ninety-yard touchdown run he had there. Like, he has, uh, I'd say he's, I bet he's probably the, the fastest guy on the top end uh, of these three. Um, but he is also bigger, and and I wouldn't be surprised if he's like a bit more of a, a grinded out bat since he is bigger than Mo. Um, but in the open field, I really want to see him get the ball in the open field uh, a couple times this year because he can really, really fly. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that I feel like at the line somehow, like I know that um, that Adams is bigger than Mo, but I feel like Mo has really become like a great point of attack guy where like he he will break that first tackle and he just has a great burst at the line. Um, yeah, I think but Adams, Mo might just have like better leverage or better like hole awareness. Right. Yeah, I think Adams might have the better like breakaway speed downfield. I know Howard, we saw like kind of run out of steam a little bit um last year once he got downfield but yeah I, I think all three of these guys are gonna be able to plug in well i know when we saw dino with bowling green um he had like two main running backs and kind of a third guy who was still able to you know pick up like 50 to 80 carries i think that's probably what we see here uh between these three and a lot of that though and that success is going to depend on not just the offensive line but also like the health of chris elmore it seems like elmore is back i know we had that like scary lower body body injury um earlier in the year during the spring that like really like kind of scared the crap out of all of us um but when when they returned to to practice this uh like late in july uh, you know elmore was in the first video uh walking out did have a knee brace but was walking out so i think as long as elmore can go um i'm much much less concerned about the run game and i'm much less concerned about any offensive line um things that need to be addressed either yeah, Elmore, Elmore's uh, one of the unsung heroes, I think. We all really enjoy when he's out there because there's just that kind of there's, – there's something fun about having a 300-pound fullback, but um, he's, like, in there for a reason. It's not just, like, because Babers enjoys doing it. Like, he's he's a big factor. So, hope, I know he's been dealing with some uh, some the leg injury from April or, and hasn't been out there a ton, but it sounds like he's hopefully okay heading into the season, like you said. So, you know, that, that does add something, especially in the short yardage. Um, and with some offensive line questions uh, that we have to answer here. Yeah. Also notable, uh, Chris Elmore switched to number five this year. So now you get a yeah. Now you get a two, <laughs> 299 pound fullback who wears number five, which is uh, I, which I am is so excited for the first for the first time. Like the greater college ball internet is like watching one of our games and notices that it's going to be great. Spencer noticed it um, like a month ago. I, like I flagged it to him from like the news feed. <laughs> And of course, it sparked an entire another conversation um, because yeah, it's, so, I'll, I'll always trust Dino to do something that everyone will will just inherently love. Yes, he just does the people what they want. It's it's what he does. Agreed. Um, on the offensive line, uh, since we are going there a little bit, this is going to be interesting. Um, we had an injury that's like not completely cleared up at the like precisely wrong spot that would have helped a lot uh sam heckle has been nursing uh some sort of lower body injury for most last like few months and it seems like that hasn't necessarily gone away completely um here in summer 
Um, we're replacing three starters, but Heckel did start at guard a couple years ago when Roberts missed the entire season. Uh, Evan Adams is back as one of the team's you know, longest tenured starters. Um, we'll see what happens at tackle spots. I think, and I know we've talked about this a little bit, I think we're going to end up seeing Aaron Service split out wide to one of the tackles. Um, I think that Ryan Alexander probably mans the other, the transfer from South Alabama, who was all Sunbelt last year. Um, and then a guard, it's probably Dakota Davis or um, potentially Darius Tisdale, who uh, could be guard or a tackle. Tisdale is a Juco transfer. So potentially, like while we do replace three of five again, that might not necessarily be as much of a shift um, in terms of experience um, as it seems on paper, even though, you know, you don't necessarily just make up that chemistry um, overnight either, which is definitely something we should be at least a little concerned about. Yeah, I think there's a there's reason to think that like on the I think the the upside here is pretty good. Evan Adams was maybe our best offensive lineman two years ago. Um, he's like probably an all ACC caliber player if he's healthy. Um, so having him one of those dart spots, I, which obviously does not count last year's starters, is a big addition. Um, I think the the we don't really know what Ryan Alexander brings. He was all Sun Belt, like that's nothing to stop at. He's a senior. Um, I think he'll probably be fine. Um, I'm, you know, still a little worried about Cervase. Um, he's been all over the line. Uh, if he's at that like right tackle spot of that, either one of the tackle spots, I'm not sure who's aligned where right now. Um, that gives me a little bit of pause. Um, I kind of hope that, uh, that, uh, Adams is, is on the side that's weaker just because I think he can really help out. He's a big body and can move people around. And the heckle injury is concerning because he's probably one of the other, uh, stalwarts there. So hopefully this gets sorted out. Uh, hopefully like the Liberty, if, if, you know, someone's missing for Liberty, it's not too much, too much of an issue. And it's a good spot to like figure out chemistry and figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, but I think, I think this is like maybe it's the most variance of any of the units on the team. Like, I think if all things shake out well, this would be a really good unit again. Um, but there's, there's like, there's a situation which is, does, is not great. And, uh, that'll really change. I think the view, how we view this whole team. Um, that's you know any team's gonna kind of live and die by its offensive line and and it's there's definitely some uncertainty uncertainty here i can't speak tonight um but last year we didn't really know what we had and we ended up pacing together like one of our best units so i'm not gonna freak out about it too much yet i agree and honestly like the the offensive lines have been so like few and far between um, like as far as like just good, healthy, like stable offensive lines. Um, since we joined the ACC, like, you know, our last year in the Big East 2012 line was obviously very good. The 2013 line was almost as good. And then we had a lot of rough patches really from 2014, 15, 16, and then 17. Um, but we returned a lot of talent because there was injuries and a lot of sorting things out in 2017, 2018. Yeah, ended up being arguably, you know, our best offensive line. Um, since we joined the conference this year, I think we're a step below that, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, spell doom. Um, I mentioned service. I'm fine with him splitting out if only because he was eventually, he was originally a tackle. And if you look at like some of the pro football focus numbers, um, if you look at some of the game tape, like, and this isn't to like completely hammer him, but I do feel like when, when you see a play get broken up, um, like blown up in the middle, it's usually because, you know, Adams gets caved in on because service is automatically just like taken out of the play. 
um, within a couple seconds. And it's not to say he can't do it because obviously he did a great job at center overall the last couple of years, but he might be better suited for um, the tackle spot while Heckel is a little bit bigger um, and has a little bit more experience there, um, at least, you know, pre-college. Um, could be a better solution there that, that gets service in a better spot for him and, and for the Lions' results overall. Yeah, I think service also looks more like a tackle, just like physically. I think he, he fits in there better. Um, obviously, that doesn't always work out perfectly, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up like acquitting himself pretty well there. Agreed, agreed. Uh, last but not least on the offensive side of the ball before we get to halftime, uh, tight end. Figured just mention that one briefly. Um, we did get receivers, Ash- we should probably just roll them in. Oh, yeah. Why didn't we do that? Uh, that was because <laughs> we were talking about the run game. Yeah, so we're not done here. Uh, <laughs> jumping the gun quite a bit. Um, yeah, so wide receivers. Dan mentioned he's very high on this group. I'm very high on this group. I think a lot of people see the top four um, as being pretty good. Obviously, you have Tristan Jackson, uh, Sean Riley, Nakeem Johnson, Taj Harris. Uh, there's a bunch of questions after that. I've, I think that this scheme is just like, obviously, like these are talented players, but I think this scheme does kind of let talent rise to the top and, and help enhance it. You saw like Taj Harris pretty much came out of nowhere last year. I could see someone like Courtney Jackson coming out of nowhere this year, Sherrod Johnson. Um, seems like Anthony Quealy um, has really looked pretty good in, in both spring and summer ball. So he could be a name to watch. But I, even if, you know, God forbid we lost a guy somewhere in there um, from the top four, I think there's plenty of talent because Dino's added, you know, two to three minimum wide receivers every single class he's brought in. Um, that This is still going to be an impressive group. And it's one that, uh, you know, once again, won't have like that main, main target like we saw last year, but that was a good thing. I think for Dungey, it's going to be a good thing for DeVito too. Um, so he doesn't develop tendencies that kind of favor one to two guys like we saw with Etatawo, like we saw with Steve Ishmael and Irvin Phillips in the past. Yeah. I mean, I think those guys stepped up in ways we really needed them to for how the offense was those first couple of years under Dino, you know, but last year we start to see, we started to see the real shift and it looked like for a bit like Custis was going to have one of those crazy seasons and instead he just ended up being like the lead guy of a really really good group um and i think we'll continue to go in that direction where you have so many weapons on the field and different guys like sean riley taj harris nike johnson they're all very different players which is exciting um i i, I like what we saw from sherrod johnson last year um i think tristan jackson could end up taking a huge leap forward he was kind of a focus of one of the i think the fourth episode of uh the La Familia series they've been doing, and he's going to be an exciting player. I mean, I honestly, like, those top five receivers, uh, or top five or six guys even, um, are really exciting. And I think uh, it, it really goes to show, I think receiver and defensive back have so clearly been the best uh, the best recruiting uh, victories of this uh, of this staff so far. And it, it shows, like, the serious depth we have there. Um, and those aren't the worst spots to have them, um, especially in an offense like this. It, it, there's really a lot of room to to use four or five different guys there. Um, you can really make use of uh, those different talents and, and different schemes. And, and Dino is so creative with his play calling. Um, you can see why it's like an attractive place to go play receiver as well. Yeah. And we're starting to see more of, of that ability to attract talent though. We're still not oddly. We're not like overwhelmingly winning every recruiting battle. You would think if you're a guy who, you know, wants to play receiver at the NFL level, I understand that we haven't necessarily of late, like churned out that sort of caliber of player. It's like a high draft pick. However, you look at the stats that that our guys are able to put up and and the numbers that they're going to continue to put up in this system, 
and it would seem to be you know a, a really enticing place to to play. I think right now one of the main issues is that you know other than Sean Riley um, and Tristan Jackson, both of them in their fourth year in college, like all the other receivers are a little bit on the younger end. Um, that could prevent maybe a younger receiver from wanting to jump into that uh, situation where there's already a crowded depth chart. Uh, they might not see the field for a few years. But in any case, um, I really like what Riley brings to the field again. I think he's going to. Pl- I think he's going to be a great safety valve for Devito. Um, he'll probably play a lot in the slot. Um, I think Tristan Jackson's probably our deep ball threat. Um, that said, like Taj Harris is already a fantastic downfield blocker um, and a fantastic route runner. Uh, guy's got great hands. I think he's going to break every record that that Irv and, uh, and Zvish Mail set um, at SU, and that's no, you know, knocking those guys. It's just I think Harris Harris is going to have a full career of of Dino's system, hopefully, uh, ahead of him. And again, I think what he was able to display from like the fourth or fifth week on last year uh, was incredibly impressive. And I, I really look forward to see him, especially how he progresses um, and, and and what he's able to do in this offense. Because if there is one guy who I think could you know, be that like big, big option that maybe catches, you know, 75, 80 balls here. Um, I think it's probably him or it's just Riley just, you know, picking up the, the, you know, five, six yard routes the way that Irv used to. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm interested to see if uh, teams start to try to take Riley away because he has kind of broken some games. Um, but I don't really don't think this is a group that you can like take one, one guy away from. I think they, uh, there's too many options, and if Devito really spreads the ball around, it's going to be like there are just aren't that many teams with with such low defensive backfields that you can like really rely on your nickel or your dime back to take someone out of, out of a play. And uh, I think we can really take advantage of that, you know. And then on top of that, we ho- hopefully will have a really nice running game. And it's just I think there's there's a, a good chance that this this offense just really works well because all on all cylinders like it's going to be very hard to defend with all the different talented guys we have. Probably more. I think we have more talented still position guys this year than we've had since 2012. And honestly, I, I, that team maybe had better top end guys, but I, I don't think it had, had quite as many that you could rely on. Yeah. I think this group is incredibly deep, incredibly like consistent. Uh, the fact that DeVito steps in here and now has, um, you know, a really experienced group of running backs and, and, and a veteran group of running backs and a veteran experienced group of receivers, you know, only stands to help his upside a ton. Um, we also have just the fact that I think the tight end position might look a little bit different this year. I know for the most part, like Dino's pretty much utilized the tight end as a, as a blocking position. I think Ravian Pierce in 2017 was a bit of an exception because you saw last year. I mean, granted, he was injured for a bunch of time, but, you know, Pierce didn't necessarily put up big numbers uh, despite going into the year as like potentially one of the best tight ends um, in the ACC and even a potential draft pick. You know, now this year, I think, we see in part like a reset to maybe what Dino wants at a tight end position, but a guy like Aaron Hackett or maybe a guy like Luke Benson, you know, either of those players um, could potentially, you know, catch 15 to 20 balls. And and I think, you know, Benson in particular, who's kind of, you know, in a wide receiver mold, like a six, three, two ten, could really be a dangerous option that creates some mismatches um, with linebackers for many well, across a lot of our schedule, not all of it. I think, you know, teams with the top, top end talent, um, they're like, you know, your Florida States and Clemson's and maybe NC state, um, perhaps not as much, but I think that, uh, we could see some creative uses of a guy like Luke Benson this year. 
Yeah, I don't think we really need like a huge pass catching weapon at tight end because we have so many receivers. But it would be nice if like to see a Hackett or a Benson step in and be that big body like we had with Pierce more more two years ago than last year. Um, and obviously Custis was such a weapon uh, in the red zone last year um, because we don't have like that huge receiver. Um, but overall, like if they're if they're solid at blocking, if they run decent routes, if they can kind of dead open on that little like pop pass that we. Uh, used to so much success last year, especially I think DeVito's first touchdown was on one of those. Um, you know, that's all we really need. Uh, just solid, especially if the offensive line is a question. Um, I think Hackett's been a pretty solid blocker and a solid, you know, do do everything tight end uh, to this point. And, you know, there's not going to be a, a game-breaking receiving talent, but uh, I think he'd slide in and, and put himself quite well. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Dan, why don't we talk a little bit about beer before... Uh... Before we get to the defense, cool. Um, I had a few new things this week. Uh, I had the, one of my local bars had a flying dog takeover this weekend for a Maryland themed crab fest they were throwing. Um, I had a couple of Numero Uno uh, Adave cervezas there, just you know what you think of from a like a Mexican style lager. Uh, very good. Um, definitely stacked up well with like the the normal Mexican lagers you see out there. Um, had some carton boat beers that I've had lying around for a while, so I get those down. Um, and then uh, our other local bar has a Cedar City takeover right now. So had some uh, high ally, had some invasion pale ale. So that's definitely not the worst uh, development. They're they're sticking around through August. So uh, a lot of high ally right down the street, which is nice. Awesome. Yeah, I uh, I didn't drink too much on on this go around. Had a had a Pliny the Elder because I had some fresh bottles at the uh, shop near me. Made sure to grab one of those. Had a few Amarillo Gorillas from Smog City. It's one of their really good IPAs. And then I had a, an Imperial Western um, Pale Lager from uh, from Union Station. Uh, sorry, a Union Station uh, Imperial Pale uh, Pale Lager from Imperial Western Beer Company. Sorry, it was misreading my uh, Untapped. So. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Try to keep a little bit light uh, this past weekend, but good stuff all around. I, I think uh, I think there'll be plenty of new beers coming in the uh, in the ensuing weeks as uh, as the schedule kind of shifts. I try to probably fit most of that in on Saturday nights, since although now we don't have all, a bunch of nooners, so I don't have to worry about early wake ups and how I'm feeling in the morning necessarily on Saturdays. Praise be to the 10 win season. Yeah. It's lit. Anyway, uh, we'll talk some defense, maybe a little bit faster than we talked about the offense, just so this thing doesn't go like an hour and a half. Um, defensive line is in great shape. Um, obviously, we're a little concerned about, uh, we were, we're already concerned because Chris Slayton went to the NFL. We're a little more concerned because of the injury uh, McKinley Williams seemed to sustain. Um, and I haven't heard a ton about that since. Um, so hopefully he's fine, he's healthy, because, you know, Williams has been a stalwart within this line. It made it much easier to see Caden uh, Samuels leave uh, the program a couple years ago when Williams was able to to kind of fill that role so easily. Um, I think nose tackle-wise, like, we're going to see uh, quite a bit of Josh Black. We're going to see some Kenny Ruff, some uh, Shaq Grossfinner. Um, and I know we talked about a little bit on Slack today where we could see, you know, Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman are two of the best pass rushers, um, 
in the entire uh, ACC. But we could even see Coleman maybe shift inside a little bit um, and give some reps to uh, Tyrell Richards, who you know did a really nice job in limited action last year. Um, and we'll talk about him a bit with the linebackers, but he's somebody who you could end up seeing um, making a big impact on this line, even if he's not you know getting necessarily starters uh, minutes. Yeah, I think that's that's the one thing that's really gone under uh, under the radar a bit with this defensive line. Obviously, uh, Robinson's gotten the most attention, and then Coleman, people are very aware, is like right there with Robinson, both at 10 sacks last year. Um, there's a lot of depth in this, in this position for the first time in a while. Uh, Kingsley Jonathan uh, has been solid at reserve defensive end. Um, I think we're excited about some of these guys on the interior. Um, you brought up uh, McKinley Williams, who will hopefully be healthy. Uh, Josh Black has has done a really nice job. Kenneth Ruff making that move from linebacker to defensive end to defensive tackle, uh, and somehow has been like a real weapon there. Um, so I, I think this is a it's a really well rounded defensive lineman group, and not just those two guys in the end. Um, the inside guys, and then some of the other depth guys who kind uh, of play inside and out, have really allowed those two guys to thrive as well, uh, which is nice. Yeah, and obviously this year is going to be even bigger focus, I think, on, on the middle of that line. Last year you saw some struggles stopping the run in the initial part of the season, and then the linebackers weren't necessarily uh, able to to do that either. Uh, that changed around the North Carolina game. I think after we got kind of you know lit up by Clemson and Pitt in back-to-back weeks, uh, we took the bye week, licked our wounds a bit, and then the linebackers were actually really good, and we actually stopped the run really well. And we were uh, one of the conference's better run-stopping teams in the second half of the season. So that was nice. Also, obviously, impact a little bit by just the schedule, but at the same time, like you definitely saw a, a market improvement um, scheme-wise uh, for the linebackers. Uh, Keelan Whitner and uh, Ryan Guthrie ended up being, you know, I think two of the five top tacklers in the in the conference uh, by the end of the year, and, and they were just real big factors in, in stuffing that run. Now, like, but Chris Slayton was probably the biggest factor there. So now we're, we're going to have to see what happens without Slayton, potentially with Williams a little banged up, um, and then a, a pretty green you know, linebacker group. Uh, what happens next? I, uh, I, mentioned, I mentioned this everywhere pretty much, that I, I'm very, very concerned about the linebackers, not because I don't have faith in these guys uh, from a talent perspective. I think for me it's more just looking at what happened last year and how it took almost half a year for an experienced group of linebackers to click. Um, I'm curious what happens now. Uh, with a group that hasn't necessarily seen a lot of college snaps. Andrew Armstrong is really the only um, experienced option here with Tyrell Richards um, being the other, and he's probably not going to play like consistently um, linebacker, especially, you know, in like a four two five scenario. Yeah. I think your hope here is that the linebackers this year who, who we do have some really talented freshmen. I think we, the, the kind of the core of our recruiting class was like the linebacking group, uh, which is good. You kind of hope that those freshmen really rise to the top, kind of like the freshman defensive bats did last year with Sisto and Trill Williams, um, and can kind of make a big early impact. And that having a really, really good secondary and a really, really good defensive line will allow them to kind of learn on the job and, and not be a, a huge, uh, you know, not really diminish the work they're doing there. Um, it is definitely the problem spot of this defense, um, just because we lost so much. And so many like guys who really were unexpected stars last year um, I think Armstrong's rock solid. Um, I, I think, uh, and he's going to be a good senior kind of leader out there, but I, I do think if this is going to be a really like good group and exceed expectations this year, it's on uh, Michael Jones and uh, Leek Podba and, and those freshmen to really rise up. Uh, Richards, who's you know not a freshman, but kind of a younger guy, third-year sophomore, um, 
to to really make an impact and and make their uh, their way onto the you know top of the depth chart here. Because otherwise, you know, we've seen linebacking groups in the past where you've kind of pacing them together guys who've been around for a little while but really haven't shown a lot, um, and that's not ideal. So it's it could be green. We could see some real growing pains, especially when we see that like that Clemson rushing attack, that Florida State rushing attack, assuming their offensive line is uh, functional at all this year. Um, but uh, I think, you know, there are so many other strengths in this defense that hopefully we can kind of hide it a bit. And, and just like last year, like the linebackers, I didn't think were great the first probably four or five weeks, and they really became a, a strength of the defense. And um, if, if that says anything about our development at the position, maybe it won't be so dire. But that's really an optimistic view of things. Uh, pessimistically, like, you know, this to be a problem all year, and, and you know, we're going to really be leaning on the rest of the defense because it'll be a kind of a soft middle. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's in a worst case kind of what I'm picturing, at least right now. Um, I think early on, like, again, in the four two five, you'll probably have um, Armstrong and Lockheed Williams in there. Um, I don't necessarily think either, like, excels stopping the run or or playing against the pass, but it doesn't mean they're, they're bad at it by any means. Um, again, I think Tyler Richards kind of comes in as that third linebacker sometimes. I think Juan Wallace is definitely going to push for playing time. Um, and I know that he showed up on the depth chart. He's been, um, you know, one of the players that has been talked about quite a bit this offseason. I think he's someone who could potentially push to start. Um, but the, like you said, the, the, the two big, uh, you know, three, four-star linebackers uh, with Lee Pogba and uh, Michael Jones, I think both of them are guys who are going to push for playing time and could potentially end up, um, you know, grabbing, if not starting roles, at least significant contributions uh, by the end of the year. And really, I know from a, you know, consistency standpoint, uh, you don't necessarily want to keep like cycling in guys, but we could end up seeing like a pretty like st- steady um, linebacker rotation just to see who who shows up and in, in particular in that Liberty game where you know with luck it's uh, it's kind of put away by halftime where we're able to see a bunch of these guys um, that just got to campus in the last you know six to nine months and how they're uh, how they're able to respond to to game minutes and how they're able to maybe make a name for themselves because that ended up being you know real I think the the probably under discussed from last year was just how much the new redshirt rule um, helped Syracuse and really got, you know, early playing time for some guys who ended up, you know, guys like Taj Harris, guys like Andre Cisco, like uh, Trill Williams, like guys who we didn't necessarily know what we had. So we gave them a shot early, you know, in, in, in blowouts and things like that. And they ended up being huge contributors. Um, I'm hoping that we see some of that um, again, again, especially in week one. Um, where Liberty hopefully uh, is put away pretty early and we, we see some of these young faces. Yeah, I mean, we kind of saw it last year, like you said, at other positions, but even at the linebacking group, like there was a lot of development midseason. So um, if we have that again, like this might not be a, a total, like, you know, it might not be a total albatross, but um, it's definitely, you know, it's there's only three real position groups to point to, and it's like clearly the one that, with the most questions. So I think that's probably contributed to like a little bit of like, panic because we don't know where else to put it um but it's gonna be a young young group and and that's college football like you get this probably pretty much every year you have a group like this so um we didn't know the linebackers are gonna be a strength last year they end up being one by midseason and uh, well you know we'll see what happens uh i think the coaching staff instilled a lot of confidence uh in the fan base last year with what it did with the defense and uh this year you know overall i think we're we're pretty excited and and if the defensive line and the defensive bats play the way we think they can like you can, I think honestly, I take those two being the strength, and then having to deal with like a young, you know, talented if green linebacking core. Um, if you have to pick a group of those to like really have questions about. 
Yeah, I agree there. And I think the defensive backs, I know people are fairly high on them. I know some more than others. Um, I think there's a huge amount of upside. I mean, you look at the just regular counting stats and they didn't really look too great last year. Um, they were definitely big, big play centric. They definitely also gave up a lot of big plays. Um, at the same time, like they definitely rounded into form week over week. Uh, Chris Frederick and Andre Sisco in particular um, improved week over week, uh, I think pretty much all year. Um, and both of them obviously put in, you know, all ACC or close type performances. Uh, I think, you know, Syracuse.com, Stephen Bailey covered this a little bit today. Where like Afitu Melifanwu, uh, you know, grabbing that uh, that other starting cornerback spot from Scoop Bradshaw isn't a knock on Bradshaw as much as it is uh, just stating the case that Melifanwu is pretty damn good, and he looked great against UNC last year. He looked great in other spot minutes. He, I know David Hale posted this probably like a couple weeks ago, where if you look at um, you know the, the opposing completion percentage and things like that, even even though he had few, like about half the snaps that, that Bradshaw did, like Melifon did a damn good job. Um, and hopefully he can be healthy this year. And, and I think he might actually be the, the key to seeing an even better uh, secondary and one that actually looks much more dynamic and isn't giving up the same big plays. And, and the counting stats um, start to mimic the kind of efficiency numbers that, that improved last year. Yeah. And if, if your third and fourth corners are some group of Frederick, Melifonwu and Bradshaw, like you're in really good shape because Trill, I think, is, you know, didn't get quite the the season that Sisto had last year, obviously in a different position, but was really, really good almost all season. Uh, and then, you know, Frederick, I think, were, is, is just rock solid. And Melifonwu obviously got hurt, but like you said, was really rounding into form and, and developing into one of our better corners as a freshman. Um, so if your fourth guy is Stu Bradshaw, like maybe, like that's, that's pretty good because Stu's not a bad player at all. Um, you could do a lot worse. And at cornerback, that's just not a position like we've ever had depth. Um, right. And that's not a position that a lot of school, uh, teams have depth at. And if you can afford to uh, keep fresh fresh legs in the field and give different defensive looks um, and maybe kind of limit your linebacking exposure. Uh, I know last year we said we were going to go to this like four two five that really didn't totally materialize. Um, but if you can give different looks with like um, by by – you know, showing off the strength of your your edge rushers and then your uh, defensive back because you have so many that can play. Uh, that's not a bad situation. Yeah, I mean, Trill's going to play some nickel this year, and I think he's just a great big play guy. We could see Cordy kind of uh, jump into there as a as somebody to play some nickel too. I know the fact that Cordy's back, even just from a locker room standpoint, is great. Um, what's impressive to me about this group, and I like kind of alluded to it a little bit in the secondary preview that I wrote up um, last week is like there's legit like maybe four future NFL guys at minimum in the secondary. And that's not like hyperbole because I'm usually pretty like low on like, and like who's, who can actually make it in the NFL um, from Syracuse's more recent as in like last 10 years uh, teams, like Frederick's a potential NFL draft pick, like depending on what he does this year, uh, Cisco's already put himself in a situation. We'll get to him um, on his own. Cisco's already put himself into a conversation where, like, he, again, because of the improvement, the ball hawking, like, he's somebody who's going to be on the radar. Um, Evan Foster is put in a really good and probably underrated season last year and is someone who, you know, because, you know, teams were trying to avoid him last year to some extent was why Cisco got more opportunities thrown at him. And then, like, Melifonwu, I mean, his brother's already in the NFL. Uh, he's already shown himself to have some real kind of breakout ability to corner, like, Again, you could have all four starters potentially this year playing in the NFL in the next five. Like, 
that's not something that I'm used to with Syracuse. You're not used to it Syracuse like anybody is really. Um, and, and we could really see uh, the rewards of that um, this year as, as a couple of those guys are going to be cycling out of the program after the season. And we haven't even brought up uh, two guys, Alan Stritzinger, who moved over to the position kind of late, but had a pick in the bowl game and it's West Virginia. Who looks really great. good for, for a guy who has barely played defensive back. Um, and then uh, the the big probably the biggest wild card of this whole group is Antoine Torty, who entering last year two years ago was probably our best defensive back. Um, wasn't sure if, he's, if he was going to come back for a sixth year. He is. Um, he's done to find a role, I think, somewhere. I don't know if there's like a traditional spot for him because he's such a unique player, and just because we have so much talent from this like sophomore, this uh, freshman sophomore class. Um, but I have to imagine we're going to find somewhere for Torty to play. Uh, he's just too he's just too valuable. So um, yeah, there's just a lot there's just a lot going on here, uh, and it's very exciting. Yeah, I'm I, I I'm pretty high on this group. I think as long as we can generate the same sort of pressure as last year, um, that's going to provide some more opportunities. Again, like I don't really care about the counting stats necessarily. This this team is always going to have worse counting stats than most, just because of the pace we play with an offense, which allows for more opportunities for opponents. That said, like. If we can flip the field the way we have, um, that's obviously going to go a a long, long way. So again, I'm excited. I I think that the the way that this, you know, group of defensive backs look in the second half of the year, um, save like the Notre Dame game, um, should really encourage us for, for what's coming forward. And like Cisco, I mean, ball hawking aside, like the guy broke up a hell of a lot of passes. He was like second in the conference last year, only to all American Bryce Hall, um, in terms of pass breakups. And that was as a freshman, um, as Dino mentioned, he he bought some muscles at Walmart this this off season. And like, if you if you saw the guy um, uh, in you know the La Familia videos, just on social media in general, like, dude looks built and, and put on a good like ten to fifteen of like pure rock solid muscle. And I'm really excited to see what he does with that this year. Um, he, I, I know people. There were some people that were were, were throwing some shade at, at Cisco's All American inclusions just because. It seemed based on, you know, the interceptions numbers uh, at the same time, like, I think to me, it's more based on how much he, again, improved over the course of last year and that he made sure by the end of the year, it wasn't just the interceptions numbers that were the story for him. So I'm really excited to see how he puts that all together with, again, a bigger and and, and more like lean frame um, this year. And he could become a much more hard hitting safety on top of his ability to, you know, get after passes. No, I think that's spot on. I think early in the year he was he was impressive with those interceptions and I think that did kind of like mask some of the issues he had early season which understandable he was a true freshman um and then by season's end he really rounded into a more uh you know full game um so yeah I mean if you want to argue that he was only an all-american because of the interceptions like yeah that's people look at counting stats it's it's lazy but it's hard to like with defensive backs um it's very easy to fall into like interceptions as it's like the one statistical category that people like that jumps off the page for people there but um i do think he ended up being a much better player by year's end than just the interceptions and then and what he was early in the season so um you know i think there's like a roundabout way to say like no he's actually as good as people are saying they're just not saying it for the correct reason maybe um but i do think he's going to be a force this year um and you know he probably won't have as many as many interceptions because people are going to be avoiding that but that means like that's going to take away a lot of uh, issues for a lot of op- 
opportunities for teams going deep on us this year um, or throwing across the middle of the field because we have him ball hawking and he's, you know, just has such a nose for it. Um, it really changes the the way a quarterback is going to approach things if he's afraid that Sis doesn't jump, you know, any route over the middle or, or going downfield on him. So uh, I'm really excited to see uh, his in, 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 uh, increased development. And I don't think the cornerbacks are going to make it much easier on the, on the receivers and the quarterbacks either. Like this is a really well-rounded uh, unit. I'd say easily the best defensive back backfield we've had since I've been a Syracuse fan. Um, and I don't know how much farther back you want to go. Like we have to go back to like Donovan Darius. Like, yeah, that's, that was my first days. <laughs> Which is, yeah, absolutely insane. I mean, even like, I mean, we had, we had a conversation about these defensive backs, what, like 12 months ago, like before the season started. And I, I mean, we had a conversation about them after the Western Michigan game. And I don't think we were all that thrilled. Yeah. That was one where I think Sisto had a pick in that game, maybe even two. But, like, he got beat on some plays. The second half was kind of a disaster. Um, if you told me we were going to win a bunch of shootouts last year, I was like, oh, you know, maybe we'll win six or seven because Dungy's good. Um, but the the defense is what drove it home, and the defensive bats were, like, as a group, like, really the breakout stars just because there was very little expected of them entering the year. We thought they had some talent for sure, but uh, I don't think anyone expected, like, that group of, of freshmen and sophomores to really step forward the way they did Um and I think, I mean, just so much credit goes to the coaching staff. I think they really brought along the back seven of this defense in a huge way last year from week one to, to the bowl season. Yeah, I completely agree. Props to Nick Monroe and the rest of the secondary staff back there. Um, I think quick, let's talk special teams. Not really a lot to say, if only because uh, Sterling Hoffrichter is the ACC's best punter and one of the five best punters in the country. Um, Andre Schmidt is the best kicker in the country and an All-American um, I hope he doesn't attempt 34 uh, kicks this year so he doesn't have to hit 30 again. I'd be much happier. To, to just go like 20 for 21 and perfect at yeah. point, I'll be so happy. Like you got He's, your Groza. We're going to not have to use you as much, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and, you know, the efficiency offense, the, the efficient offense stuff we talked about earlier is really what's going to fuel that. Um, SU was really bad in the red zone still, uh, better than they had been the last couple of years, but still pretty bad in the red zone. Um, and had to settle field goals a lot. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, Schmidt something like twenty for twenty-one last year. He was what I think sixty-one for sixty-one on extra points. Um, give me like the extra points numbers again. Uh, maybe even more of those though uh, this time around. Well, yeah, twenty for twenty-one would be much better. I'd rather he didn't get the Groza, um, but was also like used less out of necessity, um, which would be awesome. But yeah, I, I'm expecting big things from the two of them. Um, I'm expecting. Reasonable things from Riley. I think a lot of teams have just avoided Sean Riley at this point. Uh, the big, big question that like doesn't really get covered when you look at the depth chart uh, is just like the Gunners, uh, guys like Custis and uh, and Shy Cullen, who were just absolutely fantastic um, on special teams last year. They're both gone, so I'm very curious to see what happens there um, because th- those were two, you know, unsung heroes of, of the team because of how well they played on special teams. And I think we have talent to, to fill those spots, but uh, not necessarily guarantee that they're going to do it as well as maybe those two did. Yeah, um, definitely a, an under underappreciated part of this, like, number one special teams unit. It's very easy to point to your kicker and your punter and your return guy. But our coverage teams were really good last year, too. Um, I think we had very few, like, big plays out of there in our field position was like probably a reason, you know, honestly, our field position and turnovers were probably the difference between like an eight and four season and a 10 and three season. So, or eight and five or nine and four or whatever. But like, it probably got us a win or two um, just in aggregate. So 
Uh, if we can replicate that, like it's huge. I, I'm confident because I think we have so much talent at the still positions. We have, you know, so many young defensive backs and young receivers and and guys who on paper should be able, be able to excel at those positions. But like Cullen was obviously a very experienced special teams guy, uh, kind of a unique talent in his size and speed. Uh, and then Custis obviously had been doing it for a while and and like kept it on despite the fact that he blew up as like our number one option receiver too, which was pretty valuable. So um, it's definitely going to be an area where, you know, it's, those are two big replacements, but I think we've learned the value of special teams. I think Babers definitely like understands how big a part of the, of the team that was last year. So uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully that's not a huge drop off, but everywhere else, like we kind of bring back the, the major core of what drove that number one special teams unit last year overall. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see much of a drop-off there. I mean, Justin Lustig's still here. Hopefully we see him uh, there for a long time. But obviously the more success he has with the special teams unit, the more uh, likely he's going to be in demand elsewhere. Uh, I think in general, like he's just done a great job of not just adding scholarship guys uh, and just like well, using scholarship guys on special teams really well, but also um, the scout team's done a fantastic job, you know, in recent years, especially last year. Um, he's just brought on a lot of really great walk-ons who have contributed, even if not on the field, they've contributed on the scout team and really helped, uh, you know, make that game day product what it's been. So uh, props to him, the rest of the staff. Um, and yeah, ho- I, I don't see really much of a drop-off this year, which would be great. Um, but moving on to, I guess, the last portion of our uh, conversation here, the uh, the game-by-game win-loss, where we uh, we do what everyone loves to hear on the radio, which is we pick a game, we, uh, we say win or loss, and then we move on to the next one. And uh, and hope that you're following along at home. Yes, this is our, this is the Mike Francesa segment of the podcast. Yeah, the Francesa special. Get pumped. Um, we mentioned it a few times already at Liberty. Um, we won't get into the rest of the Liberty uh, conversation. We'll just talk about the football game alone. Uh, we should I, probably bring up uh, Hugh Freeze's situation, which is um, not great, interesting, and frightening. Um, Obviously, like say what you will about Hugh Freeze as the person. We'll put that aside. Uh, he was—I think he's still not back with the team yet. He uh, thought he had back spasms. Went to the hospital. As it turned out, he had uh, a staph infection, which was taught in the nick of time. Probably saved his life. Um, so it sounds like he'll be with the team by the time the game rolls around. But he'll probably be coaching from the booth, uh, which is probably not ideal for your first game with your new your new program. So it's hard to really tell with how that'll impact things, but it, it is notable. Yeah, I, I think that that could be – I mean, it's not going to be like the difference maker for them, win or lose. Uh, I guess you gets the win here. I think we see the offense, you know, casually put up between 47 and 50 points. Um, and and we, we, we have some, like, takeaways, but only so many. I, I think that the bigger focus here once we get past half – the first half is going to be on on just taking care of business against Maryland. Yeah, I think Liberty's like feisty enough where I could kind of see this one being annoyingly, maybe not close, but like we're just not going to have put it away at halftime yet. Um, I do think we'll win this one by a couple touchdowns, but I could see I could see a, a kind of a slow start here on the road. It is a kind of a weird situation to um, be at a school like Liberty in week one. I guess we had it last year too with Western Michigan, um, but uh, ultimately I think we'll handle business. Um, it wouldn't be, I, I don't know, it feels, the most Syracuse outcome is like, we'll win, but we'll win by like 14 <laughs> instead of like 24. Uh, so I hope they prove me wrong there. But I, th- I could see this one being a little clo- too close for comfort. 
Yeah, I, I, I think we still win by like 20, but I, I, I could totally see them hanging around like into halfway through the third quarter. Where it's is there just a line like, on the stadium yet, or I assume there is. Uh, I haven't seen. I know. I think I thought it was like twenty or something. I mean, I would take the over, but I wouldn't be happy about it. Over under sixty six and a half. I would take the over there. Yeah, I would take that over. I would take SU. Um, I'm still like, I'd still be iffy about it. Yeah, that would suck. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway. Um, at Maryland, Josh Jackson, probably the quarterback, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. No, I think the, the, the freshman there is still kind of battling for the job. Um, it's hard to really tell what will happen there. They have a new coach as well. Mike Loxley, who, uh, most recently Alabama's offensive coordinator, uh, previously a dreadful, dreadful head coach at New Mexico, New Mexico, not New Mexico state. Right. That's correct. He was a Lobo. Yes. Uh, literally probably one of the worst uh, coaching tenures in recent history. Um, Amazingly so. Around. Uh, he did get like the Nick Saban treatment. So we'll see. Um, I will take the win here. I don't think Maryland will be that great in year one. He has some work to do. It's a nooner. That's not a good home environment. Um, and But I think like at the same time, Syracuse will be fired up playing a Big Ten opponent on the road. Uh, hopefully it's not a look-ahead spot to Clemson. Um, I don't think Bambers will allow for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the last time we saw SU really get, like, tripped up, um, like, looking ahead necessarily, was uh, the Middle Tennessee game a couple years ago. I think since then we've really seen, like, a very different Syracuse team in terms of focus and, and, and in terms of, like, you know, week-to-week preparation. Um, I think I think Maryland has a lot of talent on the team, to be honest. It's just always injured. Um, I, I think I think Josh Jackson could potentially test this group a little bit. And if we see the linebacker struggle, maybe in week one, um, that could be a group that potentially gets exploited a little Um, at the same time. Like while there is talent on this Maryland roster, we've yet to really see the production. Um, I'm a little concerned about the run game. um, If only because like any team, like they ran the ball reasonably well last year and anybody who watched SU tape early in last season. And again, knows what we talked about earlier, probably test the run uh, defense quite a bit. So we'll see. I, I think I don't think SU wins this one going away, but I think they could probably take this one by ten, and maybe we see something like a, give me like a thirty-four twenty-four win that never really feels resolved until the end. Yeah, I'm not gonna make a store prediction. I need to see what Maryland looks like because there are still a lot of questions about them. Um, but like you said, I, I could see this one being a little cl- closer comfort. They do have talent, um, but I, I just struggle to think we're going to lose this one to a first-year coach. Um, still trying to find his way with like quarterback questions and all the other questions that come with the Maryland program this year. So I think we will start 2-0 with those first two road trips. I'll take it, which brings us to a almost guaranteed game day um, in week three against Clemson. Dan, are you bold enough to pick the win here? Uh, I really want to. I'm not going to, but uh, it's it's tough not to. Like, I want to be a homer and, and say it. And obviously, I think we could win this game if the team is clicking the way we think it can. Um, we probably had a bigger uh, disparity in terms of talent last year, um, especially considering, like, their defensive line. Um, I just think Clemson will probably have too much on offense. Uh, they're going to be very overwhelming this year for pretty much everyone. I do think we'll give them a game again. Like, I don't think – the one thing is, like, I do not think our team is going to be afraid of them. We've, we beat them two years ago. We played them harder than anyone on the season last year. Like, obviously, I don't think Clemson is going to be uh, just, like, looking past this game by any means because we've given them, like, everything. We, we've, we've been the best. We've played 
Clemson better than anyone over the last two years. And that includes Alabama. Like, Alabama beat them once, we beat them once, and then Alabama got blown the hell out, and we did not. So, like, I think this will be another another fight. Um, I'll take Clemson. I don't feel great about it. Um, but, I, I, I mean, if we beat Clemson, then people are going to be talking about us like a playoff contender. So I'm not ready to commit to that life until I see it. Well, I mean, if we beat Clemson, we are a playoff contender. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, if we beat Clemson, then <laughs> off to the races at 3-0. Um, I, I, yeah, I can't even fathom that in my head. I'm like... No, because yeah, we're the number one team in the nation if that happens. I don't know about that. I think they'll they'll make us work for it, but... Um, no, they, you, know, you, know what, you know what happens is if we beat Clemson, uh, and it's not like super definitive, if we beat them like we did two years ago, where we out, we outplayed them, but it wasn't like a blowout. We're going to... Even if we if we go to 12-0... They're going to like pick up our, our stupid schedule so often and just like hammer the ACC forever, and we'll get into the playoff if we win the conference. But it'll be we will hear so much about how Syracuse is not like a real, you know, not like a, an actual, uh, you know, top four team, and it'll be really annoying. Not 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 as not as annoying as it will be amazing that that will be happening in this hypothetical, but like I'm not looking forward to that possibility. I mean, I'd be fine with that possibility. Oh, if only I, mean, I, I would sign for it, but so much. So first of all, so much content. Second of all, we'd be in the playoffs. So who cares? Oh, we we would turn into the worst fan base. Like I we're already think. getting there, and like it just started. And I feel like we're already like we're already like edging toward that. Like the the fact that there were so many negative comments about the seven and five article today. The disrespect, uh, the disrespect, like quotient from all of us. We, me and you will be there too. Like oh, we will 100%. be able to help ourselves. Um, it will be awful. Like I'll, I'll have to like take like a reality check every so often. Be like, if this was, you know, if this was Pitt, we'd probably be saying similar things. Um, <laughs> or like if this was a Pac-12 team, I guess is we're you know ACC homers. If this was like, you know, if this is Utah, and they're you know they beat the completely unranked Pac-12 South, and then they like streak by Washington or whoever they play uh, in cross division. Like, yeah, we'd probably be there too, but. This you know different situation. Um, yeah, so that that was us going down a, a weird uh, fantasy road. I I don't think we'll beat Clemson, but you can't you can't just like completely cast it off because we came so close last year and just did it last time we played at the dome. So um, they're gonna be very very ready for this one though. Uh, I think you'll get Clemson's. You'll get you should get Clemson's a game. If if you don't like, there was some issue with Clemson. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, while I, I mean, I'm not picking Clemson. Like, I'm not picking Syracuse to win. I'm picking Clemson. I think Clemson wins by probably like 13 to 20. But in, in any case, like, I think for some reason, like, Dabo just can't like game plan for us and can't adjust to what uh to what dino does and like dino just knows how to like test them a bit i mean ever since like the first game when you know eric dungy like was injured but really we were already gonna lose that game um back you know in 2016 but like there's just a there's just something where like venables can't adjust and Dabo can't seem to adjust like and unfortunately last year like there was a couple things like obviously the run defense was was tough obviously that tough penalty um dino kind of blinked when it came to like timeouts at the end uh, too, which is like something that doesn't really get talked about probably because we went 10 and three. So who cares? But uh, those are like three like big things that like SU really should have and could have won that game. Um, take you know him really, to the, take, oh, go for it. You know, what really annoys me about that game in like now, uh, whenever it gets brought up, 
people are like the quarterback oh, injury stuff. The quarterback injury stuff. We were winning. We were winning. And I'm not obviously Trevor Lawrence is amazing. He's going to be the number one pick the second he comes out in two years. Um, he's the best quarterback in college football. Probably the most talented I've seen in a long time. He was not playing that well. Chase Bryce played really, really well. Chase Bryce bailed him out. I don't. I'm not going to say that if Trevor Lawrence stayed in the game, we would have won. I am. Just I will. They wouldn't Bryce, have run the ball as much. <laughs> they probably wouldn't have run the ball as much. But Chase Bryce played better than Trevor Lawrence after he came in the game. Obviously, that could have been a one-off fluke. But people acting like if Trevor Lawrence had stayed in, they would have like beaten us by 20 all of a sudden. Did not watch that game. I I, I think there's like a 60% chance we win that game if Trevor Lawrence doesn't get hurt. Yeah, I totally buy that, to be honest. I mean, I was watching that. From, his first uh, start, so it's not like that, it's not that crazy to say, like, in his first start, he wasn't super sharp. Like, I know he had some really good moments before that, but, like, it wasn't like, like, Kelly Bryant. He was under fire. He was under fire. Uh, we were getting after him. Kelly Bryant won them one of those games before he left uh, school. Was it, uh, was it A&M? That he, that he yeah, I believe it was. Like, Lawrence was a much different quarterback by the end of the season than he was in the Syracuse game. Bryce obviously wasn't very tested, but he came in and just made every play he needed to. Uh, obviously, the penalty helped. But, like, people that are pinning, like, the only reason we were in it because Lawrence got hurt, like, just are being very disingenuous. That's where shit. Uh, yeah, so I don't love that, and I'm not trying to, like, raise grievance over, <laughs> over last year's game in, like, late September that we didn't win and didn't really change. I mean, I don't know how much it would have changed our season if we did, but, like, it just has annoyed me because, like – if you're gonna bring that up as like a talking point, at least like have a, a, a functional memory of the game. Lawrence was not like he wasn't bad. He just wasn't lighting the world on fire. And Bryce coming in um, probably refocused them on the run game, which was uh, the move, obviously, based on how uh, Etienne shredded us. And Bryce just made like a, a handful of just huge throws. There's no guarantee they would have called the same game, like you said. And there's no guarantee Lawrence would have made the all those throws in his first start. Obviously, he went on, and, like, at season's end, I'm sure Lawrence would have been amazing against us. But, like, I, I just wish people were, like, a bit more – had a bit more of a, a cogent memory on how that th- how that all played out. Yeah, I, I agree there. I mean, I, I have a pretty – I have a pretty extensive memory on that, despite the fact that I was watching from a hospital room while my wife was in labor. <laughs> I was watching Getting Ready for a Wedding, so not not ideal. Although I watched the, 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 the game of the year before from the back of a concert in – New Rochelle, or where was I? Rye, somewhere in New York. Jeez. So, yeah, the, I, I think this year I'll probably be watching on a TV somewhere. Yeah, I, 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 I had my rule of like no plans on fall Saturdays. Um, my kid being born didn't seem to care about that last year, uh, but luckily it was early enough in the process because she wasn't born until like almost eleven o'clock p.m. and labor wasn't all that bad in, at that point in the morning that. I pretty much watched the game stress-free, and my wife is watching it too. So I'm not a bad husband, I swear, um, <laughs> for anyone for anyone trying to take this out of context. Um, but it was the Clemson game. But it was the Clemson game. I literally told her when we knew the due date, it said any day but the Clemson game. And, of course, uh, that was that ended up being the day. But in any case, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll both get to two and one on that one. Um I don't think we really need to get too far into the next two. Uh, Western Michigan loses a bunch due to transfer and some other things. Um, I think last year's game looked closer than it actually was. Um, and I think the SU team that we saw at the end of the year was what, much different than the one that, uh, you know, almost gave up the lead in the second half um, before Eric Dungey came back in. 
in I this think, one. You know, we'll use that as motivation too, especially oh, if, yeah. we, if we're coming off of a close Clemson loss. Like it'll be, he'll say like, "Hey guys, remember when you almost blew the game to this Western Michigan team last year? Even though we didn't really almost blow it, like it, we had a rough third quarter." But um, I think he'll be able to to sell that, and uh, I, I'm not too worried about motivation for that one. And then Holy Cross, we should wipe off the wipe off the face of the earth. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to see us set a scoring record, but I also wouldn't mind if we did, like just for the sake of it. Give all those new uh, season ticket holders what they want. Yeah, give them what they want. Give them – and just like, you know, as a confidence booster. I mean, last year we just kind of like slept walk to like a blowout victory over uh, Wagner. And I feel like that was a nice confidence booster. And it was something that like we hadn't seen in a while because Schaefer teams managed to like, you know, not really put those teams away. (laughs) Should we start counting UConn as a second FCS uh, in retrospect or should we wait until they actually drop? Flames where they actually drop. I, I was saying to uh, Brian Harrison today, and I was just like, yeah, I mean, because like BC like uh, put UConn and UMass on the schedule. I was like, to be honest, like I'm kind of glad we didn't because I don't want to deal with the aftermath of what happens when one or both drop down to FCS. Or, or they start their own conference with Liberty and... Uh... Y- the Yankee conference is back. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Just the, invite. the attendance uh, requirements like 8,000. I mean, yeah, they might hit that. This has been your UConn is not on the schedule this year, but we are still going to make fun of them portion of the podcast. That's fine. We're, they're actually not on any schedule for us going forward as of right now for, for any oh, that's sport. Like, that, that's done a change. They will schedule. Oh, I know. They, they are going to need. And if we do not make them do two for ones, I don't know what we're doing. Well, uh, I got some bad news. We usually don't know what we're doing when it comes to scheduling, so... Well aware. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's here home and home, and, like, there's no reason to be that nice. They need opponents. Well, as you did, I mean, BC did a home and home, but at least for them, it's not, like, that much of a trip. Yeah. It's just, like, when, you're near, you, when UConn doesn't provide that much for us in terms of, like, ancillary benefits, and they need opponents because they're going independent, which is a wild, a wild move. I get it, but it's a wild move. Um, get the two for one. <laughs> They're going to say yes, I think. Yeah, I admittedly, like I looked at the, I somebody was talking to me about this. And like, you look at through 2024, all the nearby P5s, like there's not really a ton of openings. But whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll leave the UConn talk at that for now. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, SU goes in the bye at four and one. Uh, they're headed to NC State uh, right in the middle of hurricane season. I'll be there. On that Thursday night game, um, I I think Syracuse wins this because I don't buy their quarterback or running back or wide receiver situation. And I think even if you have a good defense, you still have to be able to hang with SU from a points perspective. And I just don't think NC State can do it this year. Yeah, they just lose a lot. We beat them last year with the team that was supposed to be like their their senior laden uh, big time team going forward. Um, Adam State gives me a little bit of pause. It's like a pretty good, as far as ACC stadiums know, I think it's a pretty good crowd. Um, but we've won there before um, with a much worse team. Uh, and I just think the bye week really helps here. Um, if not for the bye week, I might go NC State, but I'm going to go SU. Although NC State is also coming off a bye. Hmm. All right. Well, that makes me feel a little worse. I'm so <laughs> All right. I didn't, think, I didn't think to check that. Yeah, I, uh, that was one of the first things I checked when I saw that we had to buy uh, before that one. Have after us. 
NC State is looking ahead to uh, at BC. Yes, that doesn't really do much. Um, I'm going to stick with SU. I just I'm not buying this NC State team. Yeah, I mean, granted, we're never buying this NC State team, but that's a whole other story. That, that is one of our brands, but especially not this year. Yeah, especially not this year. I mean, the defense should be better. It's just not going to be what it was two years ago either. Um, in any case, yeah, I'll give us the win here, and, and hopefully, I get to witness a Syracuse win in person for the first time in a while. Um, I had a nice streak going, and then it's 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 since gone off the rails. Um, after that, we face Pitt, who again you would think short break, but Pitt um, actually has a Thursday night game the week before. <laughs> I, I think ours is a Thursday as well. So yeah, I think they have Thursday or Friday. Sorry, this is great radio. Um, I we remember were Thursday against NC State, which I totally forgot. Um, and then Pitt is. Thursday against oh no they're they're Saturday the week before oh they're Saturday oh I mean at, yeah it's like one day at Duke which I mean Duke's a good defense this year uh, which we'll get to but back to back road trips actually no they're they're out they're oh god damn it they're coming off a bye I'm wrong oh yeah they're coming off a bye so I don't like that I think I think Pitt beats us and I think not because their their running game is going to be good this year but just because they're going to going to figure out how to like bludgeon us to death somehow despite the fact that I think this Pitt team could easily go 4-8. and eight. Yeah, I, I'm just, uh, I can't pick us against this Pitt. I mean, I can't pick Pitt against us this year. Um, at home, I know Pitt gives us fits for whatever reason. I just don't think they're very good. Um, I'm not They're that never worried. very good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that worried about the extra rest they have. We have, like, the one extra day. Um, I'm going to take us. I'll, I'll take us to pick up the sits and one, the early, the early uh, bowl eligibility. Uh, erase some of the fears that some people might have. I'm oh picking God. us to lose. I, I just realized I'm trending in a very dangerous direction here. Yeah, you are. I'm picking us to lose. <laughs> I, I, th- I think we're losing a pit. I think I think some things never change, and I think one of those is losing the pit. Um, so I'll take five and two before we uh, before we head to at we had at Florida State. But honestly, like I think even if Florida State's offense is better, and I think they very well could be. Um, the offensive line is still going to be such a problem uh, that I think SU will be able to generate enough pressure, enough turnovers that it might be a shootout, but it's going to be a win. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say SU makes up for uh, what happened two years ago when we almost beat them uh, down at Duke. Um, I'm going to take Florida State. Uh, just being on the road, I, we're not going to do 11 and one. I just I can't bring myself to do that. Um, I just think there's too much talent in this Florida State team. I think Willie Taggart's a good enough coach to figure this out. Um, so I don't think he's going to get fired after two years when, you know, he was already on the hot seat. Um, offensive line is an issue. I think we're going to really wreak havoc. I think, uh, Blackman and Akers will figure out enough. I think Akers might give us a, a lot of problems. If they can get any, anything up front, uh, with the offensive line, um, Akers is going to be a nightmare. Um, I'm going to, I think it'll be very close. I think it'll probably be a couple points, um, within maybe even within a field goal. Uh, but I'll take Florida state just as on the road. Um, I think there's going to be too much talent there. And their defensive line, I think, is kind of underrated. Uh, they have some studs up there. And our offensive line we talked about is, you know, I think they'll be fine. But there's going to be a, a spot where the talent differential between us and some of these other teams will show. Um, so I think a close loss here um, will hopefully not put too much of a damper on things after we already picked up six wins. Yeah, I, I got to pick it up our six win here, but you could easily flip that. Uh, with the pit game uh, that takes us to Boston College, the dudes. Uh, we laughed at them quite a bit last week, um, so I'll just leave it at AJ Dillon. Probably won't have any legs at this point in the season. 
Um, and what that are means figures? it's gonna be like the Black Knight from uh, Holy Grail. Like, why not both? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't really buy what Boston College is putting down. So uh, give me uh, give me an SU win. I think it only ends up being by like seventeen, um, just because like BC never really goes away. But yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take I'll take win number seven here. Yeah, it's been hard enough to to like kind of pin wins together against BC year over year. Um, I if they were if this was on the road and it was like a weird November like bad weather spot, I could see uh, picking against us. But it's at home. Um, I think we'll recover from the Florida State game. Um, I think we'll want to get off of like the the Schneid after after losing that one uh, before we have the back to back road game. So I'm going to take us to win uh, pretty comfortably. Yeah, I uh, oddly I feel like BC and Syracuse have been like trading road wins of late. But yeah, I'll uh, I'm going to take Syracuse there. Uh, at Duke though is where I'm taking a Duke win. I think Duke's defense is very good. I think this could be just a place where we just get like caught napping a little bit. Um, that doesn't mean that, like the team's bad or whatever. It just means that you know I think Duke might be a little bit better than people think. Um, I think they're probably a bowl team even without Daniel Jones. Um, I think that, again, the defense is really good. I think the line should be able to generate some pressure, and I think it generates enough pressure um, to, you know, take DeVito off his game. Uh, and I think that, you know, every team's going to take some lumps here and there. A team with a young quarterback in particular could. Um, so, yeah, I, I see Duke uh, grabbing an upset here and, uh, and knocking SU down to 7-3. and three. Yeah, I'm going to take Duke as well. I, I just think there's another loss in the schedule somewhere. It's probably either NC State or Duke. Um, it's kind of a tricky road spot after, uh, after the BC win. Um, it is coming off a bye, but Duke, uh, I think Cutcliffe's like a really, really good coach. Um, obviously people say that all the time. It's not definitely a hot take, but, um, there's just going to be enough here. I could say, and I think there'll be one game this year where we just look really bad. Luckily last year, that was against Notre Dame who probably would have beat us anyway, even if we played like our B game. Um, so we kind of just wasted it on that. Yeah. Um, pick your spots. Yeah, this could be the Duke game here. I think it'll either be Duke or NC State where we just kind of come out flat. Um, I can see this being like a nooner. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'll take Duke in a close, like one that we like are going to be like, you know, knocking ourselves in the head because it probably would have been our chance to win 10 games in the regular season. Like, we'll talk about this one for a couple of years. Like, oh, we really, really should have won that Duke game that we lost 21 to 17 and the offense just couldn't get anything going when it was right there for us. Yeah, I uh, yeah, that, this is gonna be a frustrating one, but one that probably we're, again, like you said, we're gonna see at some point. Um, at Louisville is the next one. I don't think there's any reality. Sorry, Kevin, that we uh, that we lose this game. Uh, Scott Satterfield is gonna have them looking better, but they honestly couldn't have looked worse. I think we put up forty plus points to just the same. As the the sounds of the the Louisville uh, the twenty eighteen Louisville team are coming out in this podcast, just just haunt, haunting everyone forever. Yeah, we're gonna. I, I think we'll win this one pretty comfortably. Uh, Satterfield will do a nice job there. It's gonna take a little while. We talked about this last week. Like the rebuilds will be very, very real there. And last but not least, the uh, eight and three Orange will host uh, oddly at the end of the year uh, Wake Forest, in which should be a weird environment at the Dome. Uh, you'll get locals, sure, but you're not gonna have the student section because it's right after Thanksgiving. I don't think you're gonna see a lot of Wake fans travel up for this one. Um, I've got us beating the Deeks just because I think Wake Forest loses a bunch on defense. Uh, and offensively, I think they lose enough weapons. We talked about this last week. Um, I think Syracuse actually wins this one pretty convincingly, even if 
this Wake Forest team ends up still winning six or seven games. Yeah, I, I was pretty high on this Wake team last week. Um, I do think Syracuse will take this one uh, at home. I think it'll probably be a tougher game uh, than obviously Louisville or even maybe BC, um, just because I think the motivation will be a little tougher. Um, and you'd have that weird Thanksgiving crowd. Um, but I, I, we'll take it, and I think we, we both have us 9-3 and three then, right? We just have a couple different different yeah. and losses. We do. Uh, I think based on just what, what, to be honest, like I think whoever wins the Coastal probably wins nine games, whether that's Virginia Tech, Virginia, or Miami. Um, I think Notre Dame probably wins 10 games, and Notre Dame can uh, leap over uh, as long as they're within a win. Um, and, and they're ranked similarly in the, the Coastal playoff rankings, and I think they will be. They can leap over an ACC team, and oh, I think fine. in this case they do. <laughs> So, going from us at the end. Yeah, that that orange bowl thing, thing's not going to happen. Um, sorry, you know, to be honest, like I think I think Miami at nine and three um, or Virginia would probably be pretty close to us uh, from a college football playoff ranking standpoint. So, I do think that that Notre Dame ends up taking that that orange bowl bid from whoever uh, would be in line for it. Um, so, yeah, I think we end up going to the pinstripe. At, uh, at nine and three, and probably facing Nebraska. Pinstripe at nine and three would be kind of annoying, just because I think like people will think that's like a bowl that should be. Obviously, I think we talked about this last year when we thought we might get pinstripe. It's a bowl that is better than it was when we were going to. It's higher in the rankings, but it still has that same feel of like, oh, we should be above this. Um, Nebraska would be an interesting opponent because you have storyline. Stop Frost turned us down, take the UCF job. Obviously, worked out really well for him. Um, right. Worked out really well for us, though. Yeah. It took us an extra year, but it worked out well for us. Uh, Nebraska should be very exciting. Adrian Martinez is like getting kind of weird, probably a little bit uh, aggressive Heisman hype. Uh, yeah, I'm out on that. Um, and they're they're going to probably take a big leap this year uh, from their. Yeah, eight. that's the thing. It'll be a good team. We could end up being like an eight and four in Nebraska and like a nine and three Syracuse. That, that will be a game ball. where that that will be a game where in the previews of all the bowls, like that'll be a top five to ten bowl for everybody. Everyone will say this will be one of the most fun games. You're going to want to tune into this. Pinstripe Bowl already. Uh, there's been maybe one bad Pinstripe Bowl. Like, right. for all of the mediocre matchups on paper we've had, the bowl, the game's almost always good. So yeah. we, uh, The other game we could end up in, I think, if not this one, um, is the uh, Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, which I oh, want to go to in the worst way. I have, like, very little interest in the Sun Bowl until yesterday when the Tony <laughs> the Tiger sponsorship. That, what, a, what a brilliant move. By, is, it, is it Kellogg's? That is Frosted Flakes? Yes. Yeah. What a yeah, they decided, no, we're just gonna we're just gonna put the cartoon tiger on here. And also, um, the announcement yesterday featured like some Microsoft paint looking um yes. like not just that, but like what 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 was the language they used? It was like Tony the Tiger was like like it wasn't like possesses, like what was it? It was like Tony the Tiger takes over. I don't know. Sorry, it was like, very it was it was exactly as goofy as it needed to be. Oh great like grabs it was, it was like Whatever it was, it was like they used like a very aggressive adjective. <laughs> like yeah, like Tony the Tiger just like pounces on. Oh, claims was like like it's territory. Like, yeah, like it's territory. To... Like, like yeah, like... yeah. Tony the Tiger is Lewis and Clark. <laughs> claims El Paso for himself. But yeah, I'd be Syracuse fine to go to that. Against, Syracuse against like Wazoo in the Tony the Tiger El Paso Bowl. Would be so wonderful. Um, oh, that that would that, that'd be lit as hell. I, the internet would love that one too. 
yeah, another one that would be just like really, really popular because everything involved is fun. Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, anything else before we go? I feel like this was a very long but also very productive episode. I think that's usually, we usually touch on an hour and a half for this one, and that's where we're at now. Um, no, I'm excited for uh, Florida Miami this weekend. That's like probably the best week zero matchup on paper we've had in a long time. Not that I don't always enjoy your Hawaii games and your Colorado states. Um, yeah. Oh, Hawaii's on the stadium this year on Facebook. How exciting is that? I'm I'm pretty excited. Actually, it's going to be fun this weekend. Uh, my, I'll be hanging out. Well, not this weekend. Next weekend, I'll be hanging out with my in-laws. And I have to explain to uh, him how uh, Weber State, San Diego State is on Facebook and how we're going to watch that on TV. I'm going to wind up watching, I'm going to say nine Hawaii games this year. I probably watch like five or six every year anyway. But the fact that they're all on, I think, as best of my knowledge, they're all on Facebook. Um, if they're not on regular uh, television, is amazing. I'm going to get so little sleep this year. <laughs> But that's always how it goes, at least for me. Yeah. Well, but sometimes, for you too. I'm forced into like, oh, it's 3 a.m. The Hawaii game is not on TV anywhere. I'm not going to find an illegal stream. I'll go to bed. Not the case this year. We're going to be we're going to be up. Gonna you be found a reason. You finally quarter. found a reason to use Facebook. Yeah, we're going to be missing the first quarter of the NFL games almost every week. Can't wait. Um, all right. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noon Snaps of the Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify, on Megaphone, on various other services. Uh, so, yeah, do that. Be, be nice to us. And uh, go do, orange. Do the services. Go orange. <laughs>